Well, Julian Strother has officially declared for the 2023 NBA draft. What does that mean for the sharpshooter from Vegas? What does it mean for the Zags? And will we see more career arcs like this in Spokane? All that and more coming up right here, Locked on Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. Well, we continue our season in review series talking about every player on Gonzaga's roster. We haven't been able to do them quite as I expected because we have typically been reacting to players entering the transfer portal, a la Dominic Harris, Hunter Salas, and Efton Reed. Now we are taking this opportunity to talk about Julian Strother because he made the announcement many of us expected from him, which is that he is declaring for the 2023 NBA draft. We're going to talk about what this means for him what his NBA draft prospects like, whether there's an opportunity for him to come back or not, what this means for the Zags, who's replacing him, what other additions they may make, and a general conversation about this kind of career arc and whether it is kind of a dying thing in college basketball and specifically at Gonzaga. So jam-packed episode all about Julian Strother. Let's start with the declaration. I'm going to read a quote from Julian's post that he posted on Instagram and Twitter on Monday afternoon, announcing that he is planning to depart or planning to enter the 2023 NBA draft. He said, quote, my time at Gonzaga has produced some of the greatest memories and strongest relationships. I would like to thank my coaches, teammates, and the entire Bulldogs staff who have helped me grow not only as a player, but as a man. And I'll be forever thankful for the support that Spokane has shown the kid from the bright lights of Vegas. After talks with those closest to me, I have decided to declare for the 2023 NBA draft. So Strother did not specify in this post whether he is hiring an agent and foregoing his collegiate eligibility or not. And as a reminder for folks, since these rules have changed basically every single year in the last half decade or so, Strother is allowed to declare for the draft and he is allowed to hire an NCAA approved agent and still make the decision to return to school. That is something he could choose to do, and there is nothing in this post that indicates that he is not going to do that. However, he also could hire a non-NCAA certified agent, which would immediately kill his collegiate eligibility. He could change his mind down the line. There's a lot of different options here. I am not expecting Julian Strother in a Gonzaga uniform next season, and I don't think anybody else really is either. This feels like it's a departure. And I think it's understandable. I think it's the right move. I'll also say this, to be clear and transparent. I did not think Corey Kispert was going to come back for his senior year. I did not think Rasir Bolton was going to come back last year. So sometimes players surprise me and make different decisions. It absolutely has happened and could continue to happen. I don't see it in the Julian Strother situation. I think he is built to be a current modern NBA player. And scouts see that. NBA general managers, coaches, players see that. And I think he's going to test well at the NBA draft combine. He did last year, but last year he did not participate in all of these scrimmages. This year, barring some kind of injury or or decision that I think would be a bit strange from Strother, I imagine he's going to participate because I think that's an area for him to shine, to showcase his abilities in game situations and five-on-five scrimmages. 
Uh, and with the testing already being strong, we know his lateral movement tests were good. Uh, I think all of that combined should make Julian Strother an NBA draft pick. Most mock drafts right now, and mock drafts are, the validity of mock drafts is questionable. And certainly when you get outside the top 10 or 15, they are kind of all over the place. Uh, at this time last year, mid-April of 2022, Andrew Nembhard wasn't showing up on almost any mock drafts. He just wasn't even on them. Occasionally he'd show up in the 50s, like maybe I'll, maybe the Brooklyn Nets will take him 53rd or whatever. And then he climbed up the process. He did well at the process, climbed up the ladder, ended up getting into the second round conversation. A few places were like, hey, maybe he's actually a late first. Lo and behold, he goes 31st to the Indiana Pacers. We'll talk more about Andrew Nembhard's amazing season and come in future episodes. We're going to start recapping the Zags in the NBA as well. But so what I'm saying is that mid-April isn't exactly the time to, to use the mock drafts to strongly evaluate where a player is at. But for what it's worth, Strother's showing up anywhere between like 25 and 45 most of the time. And that has been consistent since even before the season. I remember running mock drafts in October and he was like 26 to the Phoenix Suns. Like that's where he would show up on those mock drafts at that time. And that's still more or less the case. Part of the reason is because Strother is kind of just your prototypical three and D wing. Now, the D part of the conversation is something that he's going to need to prove because right now I don't think that Julian Strother comes into the NBA as a plus defender. I'm not sure he even comes in as an average defender. That's an area of his game that he needs to work on. But again, that's where the testing will help. If scouts are seeing his lateral movement scores are really high, his reach is really high, his length, all that stuff. And I don't know what all those test numbers are going to look like, but if they're solid, if they look good... I think NBA scouts are willing to overlook the, hey, Gonzaga wasn't a very good team defensively last year. Strother may have had his lapses, slow rotating on three-point shooters, stuff like that. But we believe the athletic profile is enough that he is going to improve in that area. And I think scouts would be right about that. A lot of Gonzaga players have improved defensively when they have got into the league. Perhaps that's a larger conversation for another time about what that may mean for the Zags and their their development. But for Strother, I don't, I'm not worried about him. I don't think he's going to be just a bad NBA defensive player. I think he's going to figure out how to be good on that end of the floor. And with his size, his length, his three-point shooting, which is definitely going to translate well uh, into the modern game, I think he kind of fits that prototypical 3 and D role player. And I think he can be that right away. One of the biggest selling points for Andrew Nempard as an NBA prospect last year was, this is a guy who can help you immediately. That was proven... I mean, as concretely as it possibly could have been proven with what he did last year for the Indiana Pacers. He clearly was ready to be an NBA player right out of the shoots. I think Julian Strother is too. And I think you look at the the way his numbers have improved season to season. His three-point shooting has improved every single year. He was 36.5% as a sophomore. He was 40.8% this past season, much more consistent. His two-point field goal percentage did drop. In fact, it actually dropped fairly considerably. He was 65.9% as a sophomore, which is just insanely good. He dropped to 52.6% last year, a fairly significant drop, still not bad. And I think for Strother, the floater game, the development of his floater was huge. It was an aesthetically pleasing shot to watch for starters. It felt like he made it an insanely high percentage of the time. I don't actually have the data for the floaters in front of me right now. And I think NBA scouts are going to like that shot. There are going to be a lot of high-level shot blockers and rim protectors on basically every team in the NBA. For Strother, if he's going to be able to attack closeouts, get around guys who are trying to prevent him from shooting threes, and get into the lane, he's got to be able to finish. And his ability to finish through contact at the rim, 
we'll see. I think he I think he could develop a decent skill set at that, but I'm not sure that that's going to be a strength of his right away. But the floater will be. And if he can attack a closeout, put the ball on the deck for two or three dribbles, and then hit a little eight, nine, twelve foot floater over an outstretched defender, if he can hit that shot consistently, that makes him an offensive weapon right away, right away. Strother also improved as a rebounder. He's a very good rebounder for his size as a wing. He's 6.2 rebounds per game last year. He did improve as a distributor, although if we're being honest, passing is not a huge strength of his. His career high in assists was last season. It was 1.3, which is not a huge part of his game. He had more turnovers than assists last year. He had more steals and blocks than ever before last year, but again, not not a huge part of his game. Just It's just not... He doesn't rack up a lot of defensive stats. I think he's a capable on-ball defensive player. I think his athleticism allows him to be adequate in that area, but I'm not going to pretend that he stood out as an elite defensive player because he just he just didn't. But I think NBA scouts will see through Gonzaga's defense and see a player who can, who can contribute on that end of the floor. Last up for Strother, all-time Zag. Shout out to Julian. We'll talk more about him as the season goes on, and we'll, of course, talk more about his NBA prospects uh, as we get closer and closer to the draft. But finish his career top 45 in all-time points for the Zags. He's 44th with 1,024, 18th in three-pointers made with 143, ninth most tournament wins of all time. Of course, had that clutch shot against UCLA, uh, and, of course, that clutch shot against BYU in the regular season. Also one of very few Zags to drop 40 in a regular season game, which he did against the Pilots this season. We also followed Gonzaga's development plan, and that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. Strother is a developmental success story for the Zags, a guy who waited his turn and blossomed into a future NBA player. Are those stories about to become more rare in Spokane? More on that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back, and there is no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's right, because now new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 in bonus bets back. Maybe you, want, maybe you Zag fans want to bet on Marco Gonzalez to get a win for the Mariners or perhaps Eli Morgan to snag a sna- save for the Cleveland Guardians. So don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. Segment two, still in patent, still locked on Zags. And I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. It is everything you need to know about college hoops, all the transfer portal updates. We'll talk Caleb Love to Michigan, Kalel Ware to Indiana, wherever the heck Hunter Dickinson ends up. We're going to talk all about that on Locked On College Basketball again, five times per week. It is available wherever you get your podcast. It is also available on YouTube as well. All right, segment two here. I want to talk about whether these kind of stories, the developmental process that Julian Strother went through in Spokane, whether they're going to continue at Gonzaga. Because they have been an integral part of what Mark Few's team has done for decades. And I, Gonzaga gets a lot of attention for the sit-out. You know, the Kelly Olenek sit-out year was obviously kind of a, a pioneering moment, not just in Gonzaga basketball history, but quite frankly, in college basketball history. I think it's fair to say that Kelly Olenek basically redshirting for a year at Gonzaga allowed him to blossom into the star that he became and set the tone for players like Kyle Wilcher to come to Spokane and do the same thing. 
Brandon Clark to come to Spokane and do the same thing. There are many, Jonathan Williams is another great example. There's many of them. Nigel Williams Goss, of course. And that is a, an integral part of what Gonzaga has done and, and a part of how they have been successful. I think they navigated the grad transfer market kind of years ahead of anybody else and, and were able to snag players like Byron Wesley and Jordan Matthews and Geno Crandall and a handful of others maybe before that became as popular uh, that other teams started to do that. And, and seeing Gonzaga be a bit ahead of the curve on so much of this stuff has been encouraging to know that our coaching staff is is really looking for trends and looking for ways to to maybe exploit some of the rules in college basketball to, to gain an advantage, especially as a school that doesn't have as much financial backing and resources as other programs do, which is very critical in the NIL era. But part of all of this has been predicated, predicated on Gonzaga being able to develop players for multiple years. We have to see if that is going to continue in Spokane or not, because it is not hard to look at what has happened this offseason and have concern about whether that is going to continue. Hunter Salas appeared to be on a three-year plan from the coaching staff. Now, I do not know what was communicated to Hunter Salas. I do not know what was communicated to the other guards on Gonzaga's roster. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Hunter Salas was told one thing that, and and like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know whether Salas felt like, I think, I believe that their plan was to be in college for less time. And because Rasir Bolton came in, because Malachi Smith came in and Bolton came back, because Nolan Hickman decommitted from Kentucky and then ended up coming to Gonzaga, like a lot of things happened after Hunter Salas committed that changed that plan and that timeline. And I can understand that. And I don't want to be putting any kind of blame on him or Dom or Efton Reed or anybody else who has made the decision to leave the program. But it would be impossible to ignore the fact that the transfer portal allows players to more freely move between schools. Not a bad thing something I have championed and advocated for for years and I believe strongly is a good thing, but it is going to create more situations like this. Less situations where a player like Julian Strother, I mean, his tricky trio teammate in Dominic Harris didn't wait it out. Now, of course, Dom suffered an injury and Dom didn't show as much of the, the promise necessarily that Julian did. And, and I don't know that Dom would have gotten a significant role next year. Maybe he would have. Maybe he would have. Maybe he would have blossomed into a star in year three or year four, I suppose, for him uh, in Spokane. But he didn't. He, he's not here anymore. He's not here anymore. Neither is Hunter Salas. They're not here anymore. Strother waited three years. He played seven and a half minutes as a freshman. He played 26.8 minutes as a sophomore. He played 31.2 minutes as a junior. Now, again, if we're going to try to compare to Salas and, and Harris and those guys, they did not play 27 minutes per game as a sophomore. So they may have felt like, hey, we're. We feel like we're farther behind on this trajectory. Totally understandable. Same with Reed. He didn't play uh, nearly that much in his sophomore year. So I, I understand there's an element of, of you know, wanting to make sure you're getting on the floor at least enough. But it is worth noting that this plan that Gonzaga sometimes has these guys on seems to really work. Strother went from 2.3 field goal attempts per game, 8.5 field goal attempts per game as a sophomore, 10.9 field goal attempts per game as a junior. And now he's NBA bound most likely. He is far, far, far from the only player to do this. And we, we mentioned the sit-out guys, the Kyle Wilchers, Kelly Olenek, Nigel Williams, Gosses of the world. There are a lot of non-sit-out guys who have done this in Spokane and had tons of success. Corey Kispert is the most logical example to use because he was right before Julian Strother, played with Julian Strother, plays the same position as Julian Strother. Like The comparisons there are obvious. And if you truly wanted Julian Strother to follow the Corey Kispert model to a T, he would come back for another year. I mentioned in the first segment, I don't think that that's particularly likely, and I stand by that. I still believe that it's not particularly likely, 
but that would be him following that trajectory. Other three-year guys, Rui Hachimura was a three-year guy who steadily saw his playing time improve from year one to year three. Uh, Joe Eliai was a three-year guy, and they were a little bit more similar to Strother in the sense that their sophomore year, they played a significant role. Killian Tilly was a four-year guy, but he kind of steadily improved every single year. He had some injuries that kind of mixed him up a little bit in there. Sam Dower is a good example. He want to go back a little bit farther. A guy who really bided this time, who didn't start games until his senior year, but then kind of blossomed into a key part of that Gonzaga team right after the 2012-2013 the season. Stephen Gray and Matt Bolton. Both great examples of well, both both guys who saw their number of field goal attempts per game improve all four seasons that they were in Spokane. So they steadily took on a bigger role every single year until they blossomed into two of the best guards in, in Gonzaga history. Two guys who who don't get mentioned in that conversation maybe as often as they should because a they weren't point guards, which you often talk about point guards, and b they weren't NBA players. Although I think their games would fit really well in the modern NBA. They just they were, they were just off by about a decade, which is unfortunate for those two guys, but. This is an integral part of Gonzaga's history. It's an integral part of what they do and what they are still continuing to try to do. But it is it runs a little bit opposite of what a lot of student athletes are trying to do right now. And that is what makes it interesting and what makes it potentially tricky. I don't think that as many players are motivated by NIL and top dollar amounts as perhaps some fans may think that they are. I don't think the players who are leaving Gonzaga are leaving Gonzaga because they want to get paid more money elsewhere. I don't get that that is the impression from those players at all, but Gonzaga is at a disadvantage compared to other blue blood programs from a financial aspect. So they have often found other ways to circumvent that and find ways to develop talent and, and, you know, get international players. That's been a huge part of their recipe for success. The sit out rules, you know, allowed them to do that, getting grad transfers from mid-major programs. Now, some of that stuff is trickier for them to do and developing players is more difficult because, rosters change so much every single year i suspect we'll use hunter salas as an example again i suspect that the staff envisioned him having a bigger role as a sophomore but because rasir bolton chose to return to school because malachi smith committed that same week i'm guessing again this is a speculation on my part more than anything else but i suspect gonzaga was expecting one of those two guys and in the span of about 72 hours they secured both of them and they also secured julian strother returning there's a chance that last year they only thought they were going to get one of those three guys, maybe two. I doubt they thought they'd get all three. So suddenly that pushes Hunter Salas into more of a reserve role. It pushes Dominic Harris outside of the rotation. Those two guys, understandably frustrated about that, they move on. Things that will help alleviate these frustrations from happening in the future, the COVID eligibility running out. That's going to change college basketball a lot. And I don't know if it if it is how much people are perceiving that difference as being significant because not knowing whether Rasir Bolton's going to return, not knowing whether Malachi Smith's going to return, not knowing whether Anton Watson is going to return, like those things will go away very soon. In the next couple of years, that'll just be eradicated. It won't be an issue in college basketball. And I think right now teams are having to recruit without knowing very much about their roster. And I think last year it impacted Gonzaga in two significant ways. It impacted them in the way I just mentioned with Rasir Bolton and Malachi Smith and the kind of confusion of how many of these guys are we going to have? Oh, we're going to have both of them. Oh, that means that these guys we promised playing time aren't going to play anymore and they're going to be frustrated about that. It also impacted their ability to get a big because Daz Amak and Jani Broom and those guys didn't want to come to Spokane without knowing what was going to happen with Drew Timmy. 
which I understand because they wouldn't have played because Drew Timmy made the decision to return to school. I don't blame Drew for waiting to the last minute. He had every right to do that, but it caused challenges for Mark Few and their staff in terms of figuring out how do we make this roster the best we possibly can without lying to people and also without creating these log jams. And they, they did the best they could, but in some ways it didn't always work. And that's why we see this kind of situation that has developed where we have three players entering the transfer portal because it just, it, they didn't quite time it right. And they, they tried, you know, and, and I think, I, I, I think you can't really blame them for wanting to try to get as many talented players as possible. It's just when you do that and when it, the players predominantly choose to return, you just create a log jam. And that's kind of what happened here. How much of this is going to continue to happen when the COVID eligibility runs out? Hopefully a lot less. Hopefully it smooths it out a little bit. Some regulation from the NCAA would certainly help from a transfer perspective. Uh, not allowing players to double transfer, I think, will help, although we will see if Efton Reed is going to get a waiver uh, and is el- eligible to play somewhere right away. I don't I, I don't wish that I, mean, I don't wish that he doesn't get the, el- the eligibility. If, if Efton Reed applies for eligibility, gets it and is allowed to play right away, that's good for Efton Reed. I like Efton Reed. I'd be happy for him. But if the NCAA is also not going to enforce the rules that they're putting together, then it's kind of like, what are we doing? So we'll have to see how that shakes out. For the Zags, the ultimate answer to this question, will we see more of these stories going forward? I think yes. I think yes. And I think there are players on Gonzaga's roster who may fall into this category. And that's kind of what I want to talk about in the third and final segment. What does Julian Strother's decision, what does it mean for the Gonzaga's roster next season? We'll talk more about that coming up right after this. All right, segment three, Stoney Patton still locked on Zags. And I want to talk about Zags' roster and the, what we're expecting to be the post-Julian Strother era. Now, pretty much all offseason, I have been operating under the assumption that Julian Strother is not going to return. I suspect many of you listening to the podcast have also been operating under that same assumption. So this doesn't change much. The things that have changed are the things that have already changed. The Zags are not only losing Julian Strother from the wing rotation. They are also losing Hunter Salas. They are also losing Rasir Bolton, which was known all along. They are also losing Dominic Harris. Four players from the non-point guard but guard wing rotation for Gonzaga are out the door. Malachi Smith has not made an announcement up to this point. I don't know what that means. I don't know whether that means that he is just going to return and that is just the assumption I don't know if that means he hasn't made an official announcement yet. It doesn't, I, I don't know. I hope that he returns. I think the expectation is that he would step into a bigger role. He would potentially start, maybe start alongside Nolan Hickman, maybe start alongside Dusty Stromer, maybe start alongside whoever else Gonzaga brings in via the portal. Of course, Steel Venters, we'll talk about him momentarily, but Malachi Smith's decision is a big one for Gonzaga because right now they have lost pretty much every other player who played non-point guard minutes Non-point guard, non-big minutes for Gonzaga last year. Malachi Smith is kind of one of the only ones who looks likely to return. Nolan Hickman, we are expecting him to return, of course, but he is a, a true point guard. So for Gonzaga, the biggest player that is expected to replace Julian Strother right now is Steel Venters. For If you guys haven't heard more about Steel Venters and you want to, check out Monday's episode of Locked on Zags. It was all about Steel Venters coming to Spokane, his addition, what he brings to the team, all of that stuff. So check that one out, but I'll give a quick recap here. He's six foot seven wing from Eastern Washington. He shoots 40% from three for his career on about five attempts per game. So he is a light it up outside shooter from beyond the arc, same size as Julian. I think 
he's he's not bringing as much to the table as Julian is. He's as good of a three-point shooter, which is fantastic. He's the same size, which is fantastic. Again, we mentioned Julian's defense being not necessarily elite. I think that Julian's probably a better defender than Steele, so that will be something that he'll have to improve on. He'll have to work on on that end of the floor in order to be kind of a viable option on both ends of the floor. Um, he's not much of a distributor, but neither was Julian. He's also not as good of a rebounder. And that's just looking at numbers. We'll have to see what it, you know, what it looks like when he gets in, when he gets into the system and how he kind of acclimates to that. Perhaps he can kind of showcase some, some greater rebounding skills there. And I'll be interested to see if he can develop the, the bag that Julian has. Julian has that floater in his bag. He's got some other ways to get to the basket, get through contact, that stuff. Can steel display that stuff? Can he get to the free throw line consistently? Prove that he's more of a three-level scorer and not just a three-point shooter. Because if that's all he is, that's not necessarily bad. Gonzaga can utilize that, but he wouldn't be replacing Julian Strother if all he could do was shoot threes. So it, for Gonzaga, it's kind of figuring out what more can you bring us? What more can you offer us? And, and if there are deficiencies there, okay, how do we supplant that on the rest of the roster? And, and the rest of the roster is kind of the interesting question here because the Zags have other internal options. They don't have to fill this Strother three wing kind of role from somebody other than Venters and another transfer. They can fill it with guys that they have internally. And that includes Dusty Stromer. Dusty Stromer, you know, we've talked about him as a high schooler coming in as a high school guard. It's worth pointing out for anybody who's not clear on this. He's six, six, like he's a big guard. Like he's more like a wing. He's a big sized kid. He's skinny. He's small. He's young. I mean, he's 18. So he's going to have to fill out, get more physically stronger, uh, grow into his body a little bit, all that stuff. Does that happen by November? Probably not. But can he contribute to this team right away? Absolutely. Absolutely. He can. And I think that he will. Is he going to start and play 25 minutes a game? No, probably not. Maybe, maybe. I don't want to discount that entirely for what it's worth, but uh, he's he's a player that I do expect to fill some of that role. Uh, and having seen him in high school, he looks fantastic. He's a high-level scorer. He's a hard-nosed player, uh, very heady, very high IQ, all of that stuff. But how that translates to the collegiate level remains to be seen. But I, I'm confident that he's a player who can help this team right away. Uh, and then, of course, you have the two international players coming in, uh, Jun Sok-yo from Korea, South Korean kids, six foot eight wing. Again, worth pointing out here, he's 21. So he's new to college basketball, new to the States, but he is not – as raw physically because he is already 21. He dominated at FIBA in the U19s a couple of years ago. I think that there's a really good chance that Yo contributes a lot right away to this team. I really do. And I haven't seen a ton of him to, to know people within the program, people with involved in Gonzaga athletics who work for the school have said a lot of really positive things about him. And I think that's really notable that it seems like there's some optimism internally. He's six, eight, so he could play a three. He could be a big three. He could also play some small ball four. And again, that kind of depends on what happens with Anton Watson, what happens with any transfers they add in the front court, what happens with Ben Gregg, Braden Huff, Caden Perry, et cetera. There's a lot of different kind of things that need to be ironed out in the front court before they figure that out. But Yo is a guy that I think could could definitely help fill the role that we're losing with Julian Strother. If nothing else, I think he's going to be a very good rebounder, and that's going to help a lot. And then there's Alex Tui. 
Tui from the NBA Global Academy in Australia, six foot eight wing. He's playing in Portland right now as part of the uh, Nike Summit. He's been fantastic in that. He had a really great interview with uh, Fan Nation Sports Illustrated site. Check it out. I'll see if I can get a link to it in the show notes here. Really good article talking about why he chose Gonzaga, other programs that he was interested in, what stood out to him about this program. And, and for him, it was really the development. And Rui Hachimura was a big story for him of like, I want to go to a program that is proven they can take international players and churn them into NBA talent. Tui is here to do that. How much he contributes in year one, I honestly have no idea. I really don't. He's more of a question mark to me than both Yo and Stromer in terms of how ready he is to compete at this level. But he's there. He's 6'8". He's a good stretch outside shooter, could play some small ball four, stretch four role, could also play that wing role. So they have a lot of options internally and a lot of options internally that we haven't seen much, which makes it hard to project what is this going to look like. How good is this team going to be at the wing position? Steel Venters, we expect, is going to be pretty solid. 15 points per game in the big sky. I think he's going to be fine. Malachi Smith, if he comes back, we know what we're getting there. That's fantastic. That's very, very helpful. Everybody else, Stromer, Yo, Tui, a bit more question marks. Will Gonzaga also add more transfers? Oh, heck yeah, I think they will. Taron Armstrong is a player they're connected to. He's more of a true point guard, but if they brought him in, it could shift Nolan Hickman into more of an off-ball role, giving them another wing-style player. Zags have also been connected to Chris Ledlam from Harvard. He's a six-foot-six wing from the Ivy League. And then A.J. Storr from St. John's, still on the transfer portal, a six-foot-six guard as well. And there's going to be more. And guess what? That's what we're going to continue to talk about here on Locked on Zags. We're going to continue our season in review series later this week. We're going to talk about every player on the roster, their contributions last year, their future within the program, if they have a future within the program. We will also talk about transfer portal targets, players the Zags are interested in. We just heard right before I hit record here, Jesse Edwards out of Syracuse, 6'11 center that the Zags are interested in. You want to hear more about him? We'll talk about him more on a later episode of Locked on Zags. So don't go anywhere. Locked on Zags, still five times a week, still coming to you every single day. We're talking transfer portal targets. We're talking Anything else involved in Gonzaga basketball, we'll talk Zags in the NBA, we'll talk Zags in the MLB, we'll continue our season and review series, all that great stuff coming your way. So don't miss out. It's available in your feed. It is also available on YouTube. Go hit that subscribe button if you have not done so yet. All right. Thank you all for listening and go 